Welcome to the rooftop. This is a driveway episode for sure. And I'm titling this one, Nobody's Coming, It's Just Us. And just finished a purge of a workout. It's uh, as I'm recording this right now, it's, um, God, I don't even know what day it is. I think it's the 22nd or 23rd of August. It's a two year anniversary of the epic abandonment of our Afghan allies and it still hurts now more than it ever has. It, um, this has been a hell of a month and we're a few days out as I'm recording this from performing last out Elegy of a Green Beret literally on the two year anniversary of the ISIS-K bombing at Abbey Gate where we lost 13 service members and other service members grievously wounded like Marine Corps Sergeant Tyler Vargas and still others bore horrific moral injuries at witnessing a level of suffering in their Afghan counterparts across the razor wire and in that petrid shit-filled sewage ditch for days on end as mothers held up their purple babies that had long since suffocated and fathers pleaded for help as their daughters or seven-year-old daughters are trampled under the feet of thousands and the Taliban recklessly and without any regard for humanity execute innocent Afghans while Marines and paratroopers can do nothing more than look on because their rules of engagement have required them to work with those savages. It's just so very hard to process two years after the fact, and I thank God for this play, honestly. I am so grateful for Gary Sinise coming along and John Androsik, who really connected us, of Five for Fighting, who really made it possible for Gary and I to connect and for him to see the play on film on Amazon Prime and then to come forward and offer to sponsor it on a national tour at a time when, frankly, those 800,000 plus American servicemen and women who served in Afghanistan and their families and the families of the fallen are, are hurting so bad and have just been slapped in the face by our institutional leaders, not just the politicians in my assessment, but the senior military officers, the senior diplomats. This is a, it's a level of moral injury an injury on the soul, a violation of what one knows to be right. Like I've never, I never thought I would see in my lifetime. And, you know, I have done so many podcasts and different kind of posts. We do the play on this thing. You know, I tell people, if you want to know why Pineapple Express was necessary, come see Last Out. Because it tells that story in two hours of the flawed approach and how we treated Afghanistan over 20 years and the impact it had on our warriors and our families. And I'm tired, man, you know? If I'm being honest, I'm just tired. You know, this, is, this has just been a, a weird month. Um, August has been a weird month, this two-year anniversary. I'm supposed to be, I guess, someone who gets out there and in a trusted kind of way offers some perspective. And I, 
I've pulled back from that. I really have. I, I found it very difficult to, to do any kind of video content or um, anything worthwhile. And I, and I hate that and I apologize for that because I know right now so many people are, are hurting and they're looking for answers and I don't have any. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any. I have a few, but they, you know, they're not, they're not easy. Um, there's nothing easy in this. And I think about the men and women who deployed five times more than I did and the families that have gone through a hundred times more than what mine has. And I, I just, I ache, you know, I ache for all of you and I ache for our nation in a lot of ways. You know, I've had general officers and admirals who I used to respect as if they were my own parents say things that I, I never thought would come out of their mouths. You know, things like, I, I don't understand why the operators are making such a big deal out of this. I thought they would be over it by now. You know, or, or you guys talking about betrayal, you need to knock it off, it makes you sound like victims. I mean, how, how, can, how can you say that about men and women and families who served voluntarily? in combat for you know, multiple tours, some for a 20 year war. I don't get it. And you know, my buddy Zeph on LinkedIn, he, he's really, and, and uh, I have to say Jason Houck too, have been the two most outspoken leaders around the issue of, of senior leader betrayal and just senior leader failure. You know, we, we put these guys on a pedestal, senior politicians, senior diplomats, senior generals and admirals, we put them on some kind of pedestal, you know? And for 20 years, they're the talking heads. They're the ones that like, you know, give the end all be all perspective on Afghanistan, Ukraine, Iraq. But yet these were the guys who sat silent when we violated every moral code we were, we were held to account for in this 20-year war. I mean, the whole war in Iraq and Afghanistan was based on partnership. I mean, you can't go back and look at any document that was ever written by a general officer or a flag officer or a senior enlisted advisor that didn't harp on to the 11th degree on the values and tenets of partnership. And, you know, to see these same individuals, both active duty and retired, by the way, sit silent and not say anything, and I get it. Look, I know a lot of you, if you're listening to this, did things behind the scenes, that's great. But like, as my friend Jason Houck says, we need you in the public space right now. I mean, where were you when this actually went down? Where was your voice on behalf of all these men and women and families who gave you so much? And how do you think that you rate like silence in the public arena when you were so in the public arena when you wore those stars. It makes no sense. And this is the same true with our diplomats and our politicians. You know, it's been a handful of politicians that have actually stepped up and kept this thing top of mind. And for me, this is totally an apolitical issue. This is not a Republican thing. This is not a Democrat thing. This is an American thing. You know, this is about our narrative, our myth that is supposed to be bigger than any one of us, you know? And do we really believe that in any of the 
fights that we're going to have in the future, whether it's, you know, asymmetric fights against terror groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS or conventional fights against Ukraine or, or, you know, excuse me, against Russia or China, you know, we're not going to do it unilaterally. We're going to need partners. We're going to need allies. Yet we treat our allies. We have this multi-generational systemic habit of abandonment. And the absence of leadership, of responsible institutional leadership, to just call that out and to say, wow, that is really hurting future generations of warriors and operators to build relationships in, on behalf of the United States of America. Right? You don't get a mulligan on that shit. You know, that is really hurting our standing in the world. That is really hurting our uh, national security as, as 20 plus violent extremist groups regenerate in Afghanistan and all the lights are blinking on the dashboard. Yet we have no connection at all with the only group that's resisting in that country. We're sending trillions of dollars to Ukraine, right? And regardless of where you come down on that issue, like Afghanistan was our ally for 20 years. And we literally left them to be hunted in the streets and for women to be tortured and raped and regressed back to seventh century, you know, <laughs> treatment. I mean, how's that possible? How can we justify that? when we're supposed to be a country that advocates for the rights of women and the underrepresented. I mean, how can we even say that? You know, how can, and sorry, but I'm going to offend a lot of people here, but how can, you know, Special Forces Command have a podcast called the, the Fucking Indigenous Approach when you just wholesale abandoned as an institution the partner force you built for 20 years? Like, it, it, we can justify that shit all day long with all the, you know, politicalisms that we want. But the outside world sees that, and it's a joke. It's a joke. We have done more to our social credibility and our social capital than anybody is even talking about. And, and you can't talk about it in any of these institutions or you lose your job. You know, how is that leadership? How is that leadership in this country? And if, if, if a lot of my Trumpsters are out there going, yeah, man, if Trump had, no, no, I, I don't think that's true at all. Like I said, this is apolitical for me. I've been underwhelmed by every fucking commander in chief we've had in this 20 year war. Every one of them. None of them have gotten deep on the issue. None of them have applied themselves to the level that is appropriate for the sacrifice and candor and talent, frankly, of the war fighters that did it at the tactical level, not one. But Trump and his Doha agreement, it's a, it was a joke and it set this whole thing up. And I think part of what maybe this podcast is, and I really, I really, man, I hope this isn't coming across as a rant. Maybe it is, but I'm tired. And, I'm, and I know my, my buddies who are veterans and my military family member buddies, they're tired. You know, my, my buddy Ernesto, call sign Nacho, you know, he, he's hanging up the cleats for a while. This guy's been, he's been operating a nonprofit for two years, man. Two years. He has, he has, he has sacrificed like his resources and his marriage and his kids and his livelihood to save his partners. You know, when the government wouldn't do it, this guy for two, for two years has been on a, on a non, never ending 911 call. And yesterday he did a post on LinkedIn and, and I'll put it in the show notes. It's heartbreaking and so humble 
and so kind, you know, and, and, and I, I don't understand how we can lay this on the shoulders of a man like that. Fuck, who's given so much to this country without being asked? And, and, then, and, then, and then to heap this on him at, you know, after all those years of service and sacrifice and loss? Who does that? What kind of fucking leader does that? You tell me. And, and trust me, this isn't a party thing, right? This administration, yes, they own the hell out of this. Make no mistake. But our political, senior military, and senior diplomatic leadership is woefully underwhelming for a guy like Ernesto. I just, they just are. And, and they, they're, not, they're not worthy of his sacrifice. And they know it. That's why they're quiet. And he's not alone. There's hundreds, if not thousands of Americans, veterans mostly, some civilians too, who have endured a level of moral injury from this war and the, more importantly, the way it ended. Our commander in chief has not even mentioned the collective sacrifice of the post 9-11 generation in any of his states of the union. How do you think that makes these men and women feel? And then these leaders, these same institutional leaders to include military leaders are gonna scratch their heads and wonder why retention and recruiting is not good in the military. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. And then go a step further and actually, because so many of today's service members come from military families. That is a statistical fact. And it is honestly something to be proud of in this country that we have generation after generation, think about that for a second, of volunteers who step forward and serve because their father did or their mother did or their aunt did or their grandmother did. They serve out of, out of pride, out of family pride to something bigger than themselves, multi-generational legacies of service. And do you know what the chief of the army said? The, the, the chief, uh, um, secretary of the army? Is that, hey, you know what? Um, this is a warrior caste that we are creating. We're creating a warrior caste and we're gonna develop a recruiting policy that blows that out of the water. I mean, the level of tone deaf behavior from politicians, diplomats, and senior military leaders is unprecedented. And for a handful of individuals who stepped forward post 9-11 and gave our youth away, our 20s and our 30s, we're watching all of this go down. We're watching our volunteer army go down the toilet. We're watching Americans treat each other with contempt, normally reserved for one's enemies, as Sebastian Younger says in the book, Tribe. You know, Younger says, veterans, so many veterans today are willing to die for their country, but they have no idea how they're supposed to live for it. How do you live for a country that is dividing itself and tearing itself apart along every imaginable line of race, ethnicity, religion, politics, socioeconomics. We are tearing each other apart with the contempt that is normally reserved for one's enemies. 
There's studies, as Younger says, with couples who are married, and, and it shows that couples that are showing contempt for one another are guaranteed to end in divorce within months. When we show contempt for our neighbor, when we show contempt for a family member who believes different than us politically, when we show contempt for someone on social media because they have a different view on the pandemic or whatever issue has been politicized by these divisionist leaders, then we are surrendering our agency, first of all, because anger makes you stupid, according to Ivan Tyrrell in the book, The Human Givens. We, we are surrendering our agency as we drop into a fight, flight, or freeze state, a sympathetic behavior, a level of emotional arousal that doesn't even allow for perspective and connection. It turns us into tribal animals. And we're doing this in droves. We're doing this in a, in a trance state where our body goes into a trance because we're in survival mode. We're in fight, flight, or freeze. And we are treat, and when we do that, we treat each other with contempt. And that, in terms of social capital, is far greater than any enemy we face. Far, far greater than an enemy than, than ISIS-K or Russia or China. The enemy is how we're treating each other. I tell people all the time is, it's, it, it, to me, it's, it's, I'm far less concerned about the issues, to be frank. And the issues are important, but I'm far less concerned about the issues than how we treat each other when we discuss the issues. There is no civil discourse. There is no discussion. Our founding fathers knew this. They knew that this could happen when highly politicized actions take place. And, and, and the leaders that are at the helm right now, you guys, I mean, truly look around. I mean, look at these leaders. Step back. Shake off your own politicized trance. Forget about your guy for just a second. And look at the quality of leadership in this country at the most senior levels. You know, and I'm just going to say this, and I'm just to the point, I just don't give a fuck anymore. You know, I, I, I look at these individuals across our country who will listen to some of the things I'm saying, and they'll say, yeah, man, it's not a political thing. It's, you know, leaving our allies like that. Oh, so wrong that that happened. That fucking Biden. But Trump, if he'd have been in office, this wouldn't happen. And vice versa. You know, the, the levels of intellectual dishonesty that have evolved through this divisionism that is spread across our country at an epic rate, the levels of contempt that we share on, that we, we, we place upon each other, right? Or upon a, a, a quote unquote party because of the guy or gal that's at the head of it. And the reality is, I frankly wouldn't piss on either one of those guys if they were on fire, right? I mean, and I mean that. I think that both of them are two of the worst characters and leaders I've ever laid eyes on. You know, I think about guys like Chief Warrant Officer Romy Camargo, who was shot through the neck in Afghanistan, fractured, he blew his C3 apart, and now has spent the last decade on a ventilator and you know, is paralyzed from the shoulders down. And you know what he and his wife Gabby did, who, who met each other at 14 years old, who she's been by his side the whole time, you know? You know what they did? They opened a nonprofit rehabilitation center called Stay in Step, 
right here in Tampa, Florida, that helps other paralyzed individuals, TBI individuals, Parkinson's disease, take a step toward recovery. Now, this is a guy who had every reason in the world to take the victim approach, to, you know, to just basically get angry and blame, but he didn't. You know what he said when you ask him about being shot? He says, Scott, the American people are worth it. Where's that leadership in Washington, D.C.? Where's that leadership in the Pentagon? Where's that leadership at Foggy Bottom? I challenge you, show me. Show me how Trump or Biden in any way reflect that. Well, Scott, here's the thing. Trump's the guy we've got. Biden's the guy we got. Bullshit. Since when did we surrender our agency and our national myth that binds us and our social capital with each other as neighbors, since when did we surrender that to people who talk about grabbing vaginas and sniffing little kids? Since when did we surrender our agency to that? Since when did we divide ourselves down those kinds of lines and defend that because they are affiliated with the same belief system we are? That level of rigidity, again, according to Tyrrell, according to McGilchrist, that level of left brain rigidity is a byproduct of this mechanized transactional society that we have evolved into and that has thrown us into trance-like behavior. And we're all caught up in it. And it is running us off a cliff. We have become entangled with a level of contempt, moral superiority, and divisionism that is taking us into a realm of shadow tribalism. And if you don't believe me, just look around at how we're treating each other. Look at how the discussions go from zero to 120 around the political election. You know, used to, I never once thought, even when the, the, the Bush-Gore election happened, I never thought, uh-oh, man, there could be like violence in the streets and we could lose the country. You know, that happens in other countries. But hey, those aren't, that's not true anymore. I get really edgy every time, not just a presidential election comes along, but congressional elections. I, I think we have lost our mojo. You know, and our institutional leaders, we've I mean, I started off with this about the, the abandonment, but it doesn't end there, right? They, they, have, they, have, they have decided, a divisionist by my definition, is an institutional leader who has surrendered their agency and their belief system in bridging across in-groups and out-groups in favor of fomenting instability to advance one's narrow agenda. It is the intentional fomenting of of division, of in-groups and out-groups, tapping into a primal tribal mindset in a modern world. And so many people are asleep with the switch. So many people are caught up in this fear-based behavior. And we're looking at these, these leaders who we once put our trust in, and they are getting us to rally around flags and in-groups that are as tribal and clannish and factioned as any rural area in Afghanistan, maybe worse. At least the people in Afghanistan know who they are. But we're asleep at the switch. We're literally undoing our own civil society because we're placing our trust in leaders who are shit. They're crap, man. They don't represent the collective at all. They don't represent what's good for the country. And I don't believe anybody else is coming. I believe this requires us to vote out leaders
who are doing that. I believe it requires us to push hard for term limits. I believe it requires us to step forward and lead at community levels, regional levels, national levels, and put pressure on these institutional leaders to do the right thing. You know, I caught a lot of flack from general officers about the epilogue that I wrote in Pineapple. But since when, as a retired lieutenant colonel who gave several tours in Afghanistan, since when am I not entitled to my perspective on how this war ended and who I think bears some responsibility? I, the first person I blamed was myself, you know? But yet these, 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 these veiled threats and ultimatums came across the net it, like I've never seen before from people that I never thought I would hear them from. And others have just gone radio silence, like you're dead to me. And that's fine. I mean, I, I, that, that's fine. That's the way it goes. But it's just astounding to me that the people that we really relied on, counted on to lead us into better days, they're not coming. They're not coming. And I, I tell you when, you, when you come to that realization, there's something very liberating about it for me, you know, uh, because the, the other side of that is nobody's coming. It's just us. It's, it's Ben Owen. It's Herb and Corey. It's Zeph. It's Jason Houck. You know, it's Matt Williams. Uh, it, it, it's so many people that are, you know, Andy Milburn that are just doing amazing work on both sides of the aisle. Um, to, to, to bring us together, to lead into better days. I mean, it's my dad who's restoring the American chestnut. You know, I see so many encouraging and exciting um, leadership endeavors with people who just look into the arena and they say, okay, nobody's coming. It's just us. I'll do it. I'll give it a shot. I mean, that's what happened with Pineapple Express and Flanders Fields and Moral Compass was you had a, a, a group of volunteers who saw nobody else was coming. So they stepped into the breach and they did the best they could. And we failed. Yeah, we failed at levels that were not great. But like my buddy Perry Blackburn says, he, you know, he had some successes too, you know, and, and he has no regrets because he stepped into the breach. I mean, he's leading a nonprofit called Ask Free that is absolutely setting the standard for food drops and humanitarian support, not just in Afghanistan, but Ukraine and all over, all over the place. This is what it looks like. This is, I believe, what Robert Putnam was describing in his book, The Upswing. You know, we've gone through, we, came, we were in this terrible period in the early 1900s where there was division in the country, political division. People were treating each other with contempt. They were speaking with moral superiority of one another. You know, there was crime was rampant, infrastructure was falling apart, and it looked like America was in her last days. And then a couple of drunks in Akron, Ohio, decided to have a meeting, and they called it Alcoholics Anonymous because nobody else was coming to get them sober. It's just us. Bill W. and Dr. Bob, let's have a meeting. And they did. And then some more people joined, and then some more people. And, 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 and today, millions of people in Alcoholics Anonymous getting sober and clean. I mean, <laughs> I'm one of them over 20 years sober, thanks to that first meeting in Akron, Ohio. And I believe we are on the, you know, and then we went, started going down in 1972 with the Vietnam War, with mass technology, politicization of so many things and a whole range of other social factors, but we started to hit a downswing. But from the early 1900s till 1972, it was the longest running period of social capital in American history, it's when, the, it's when the Rotary Club, the Junior League, the NAACP, Future Farmers of America, 
Teddy Roosevelt's reform movements, like all of that happened during that short period of the early 1900s, late 1800s. And, and it ushered in the longest running period of bridging trust and social capital in American history. And it lasted all the way up until 1972. Now, yes, there were lots of problems. There was still racism. There was still segregation. But, but if you look at it from a macro level, there, there was this tremendous upswing. And then we hit this downswing in the 1970s, and we've been on it ever since to the point that we are in a downward spiral right now of shadow tribalism, of divisionism, of entanglement with social media and, and, and AI, you know, and, and as a result of that, we're treating each other with contempt that this could end in, God, violence and even organizational societal collapse. And there's a lot of people like the author of Sapiens who believe that is the path we're on. I do not subscribe to that level of nihilism, although I do, I do believe it could happen. But I believe that we are, frankly, what we saw in 2021, in the summer of 2021, when digital Dunkirk happened and all of these groups stood up to include Operation Pineapple Express, I believe that was the first shot across the bow of a peaceful civil leadership event where leaders at a local level looked around and said, fine, nobody's coming. Our Afghan allies are in trouble. We'll step in and we'll do the best we can to help. And we modeled what leadership was supposed to look like. And the institutional leaders fucking hated it. They hated it. I mean, look at the State Department's report. They actually blamed the volunteer groups for distracting and getting in the way of the withdrawal. Whereas people on the inside, to include Doc Aiden Gunderson and his company commander and his first sergeant who were at the four foot hole in the fence, they said that Pineapple Express and the other groups that were responsibly presenting special ops, interpreters, and their families at those points, at the right point, at the right time, were invaluable in making sure the right people got through because they had no idea who the right people were, nor did the State Department have a plan or a system except just letting mass numbers through. We knew who they were, we knew where they were, and they trusted us to move them and present them responsibly to relevant people at the gate. Now that's leadership, that's that bottom-up leadership, that's the nobody's coming leadership, and Lots of folks didn't get out. Mistakes were made, but I'll tell you right now, I'll take that any day in, 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 this, in the face of this institutional divisionism and just lame-ass leadership that's out there. I'll take it all day long. And I think that's why Americans got so excited. It's why our NATO friends got so excited because they saw that and they said, that's actually the spirit of leadership. That's actually what leadership looks like. That's what we used to be like. I want that. I choose that. That's what I want to be. And I think you see now a range of emerging initiatives, and not just in the defense sector, but in the humanitarian sector, in um, the ecological sector, in the production sector, in the financial sector. There are just a range of initiatives that are at play. Look at Ben and Jess Owen. Look at what they're doing with their Buy Back the Block, man. They are, these, are, these are two former addicts, right, who were living in trap houses and with their kid in a truck and have been shot and stabbed and kidnapped. They got clean. What did they do? They went back to South Memphis to the same trap houses, to the same block where they nearly died. And they're going in there, buying back the trap houses, turning them around into houses of hope halfway houses. And guess who's doing the building? 
recovering addicts and alcoholics that are living in the safe houses they've already established. If that's not fucking leadership, now where's that leadership in Washington, D.C.? Where's that leadership in the Pentagon? I challenge you to find it. You know, uh, it, 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 it's, it's unprecedented. And this is happening. It's happening all over the place. If you just go into LinkedIn, I believe there's a community building in LinkedIn right now that I'm so excited about. I, and I'm just, I, I'm humbled to carry their luggage, man. Uh, another one, I'll tell you another one, is Operation Allies Refuge. These are the young men and women, really the last post 9-11 generation. They're the youngest of the post 9-11 generation. They are the ones who weren't even alive for the most part when 9-11 happened, yet they were the ones that had to close down H. Kaya. They were the ones that stood post at Abbey Gate. They were the ones who fell when that bomb went off. They were the ones who were policing up their buddies' body parts and taking them to the, to, to the, to the med station and, and not understanding why this even happened. So what have they done? Have they like you know, claimed victimhood and, 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 and what their entitlements are? No. What they have done is they formed a 501c3 called Operation Allies Refuge, ironically named after what the Biden administration called the operation when it said we wouldn't leave our allies behind. And they are addressing the moral injury of the men and women who were at Abbey Gate. And eventually they're even going to pivot back to the moral injury incurred by the individuals who fought in Vietnam and, and suffered a similar thing when Saigon fell. That's leadership. That's the upswing. That's where we're headed. And I'll tell you, man, after this month is done, after August is done, we're going to go do this play. We're going to perform it in honor of all the sacrifice at Abbey Gate. Tyler Vargas is going to be there. Sean Ryan's going to be there. Some other really amazing leaders are going to be there. We're going to perform this thing, and we've got a couple more tour stops after that. But where I'm focused right now, going into September, is this upswing. And I hope you are too. I am ready to see leadership continue to flourish at a community level. I am ready to see leaders challenging the status quo, putting pressure on these antiquated politicians and generals and admirals who uh, represent not only the old guard, but a divisionist way of thinking that is not in the best interest of our country. You know, anthropologists generally agree, social scientists generally agree that for a liberal democracy to thrive, you know, you need a couple of things. You need, you need trust in your institutions. You need, um, um, you need social capital. You need neighbors trusting one another. And then you need myths that you can rally behind, like out of many come one. That's a good myth, right? You know, a pursuit of happiness, liberty, equality. Those are good myths. And yes, this country has a lot of problems, but you know what? Our people are good. Our narrative is good. And I believe that we stand for something bigger than ourselves, something that is you can't put into biology, you can't put into science, you can't put into this nihilistic view that we're all just bumping around the universe until we die, right? I believe there's a higher plane of ascension that is available to us, a level of agency that is reserved for our better angels, but we have to choose it, right? It's like Ben Owen says, you have to find that thing that scares the shit out of you. That thing that would, that injustice that you see laying in the floor, stinking like a piece of rotten cheese and nobody's picking it up. Nobody's coming. It's just us. Go over and pick it up. And even if it's a hard thing to do, even if you feel like you're not qualified, just that movement is inextricably linked to meaning. And when we see people move and take action, it gives us courage. We take courage from that. 
and we find ways to come together and connect like we did in the Afghanistan collapse. I've made friends and buddies that I'll have for the rest of my life, man, because we had no idea what we were doing, but we stepped in and we just tried to do the right thing. And that inspires confidence and courage. You know, fear is contagious, but you know what? So is leadership. And, and I think that's the, that's the path I'm choosing. That's the path I'm on. And I hope that you are too. That's where I'm gonna take this podcast. I really am, I wanna spend the rest of 23 and the rest and, and 24 talking about this upswing. I wanna talk about social capital. I wanna talk about bridging trust. I wanna talk about storytelling. I wanna talk about interpersonal leadership that we look at where people are relatable to our pain and relevant to our goals. I wanna talk about what is it that allows a guy like Ben Owen or Herb and Corey to create these amazing movements or Aiden and Joe with Operation Allies Refuge. What are they doing that is creating this courage and this, and this will to, to stand up and do the right thing and help people and make a, our world a better place? Like, what are they doing? Let's unpack it. You know, I want to bring in the interpersonal skill set that can help you do it. Whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's the for-profit, non-profit, in your family, community, but this is where we're going because nobody else is coming. It's just us. But you know what? Man, I'll take those odds all day long. And as long as I'm on this earth and got breath in my body, that's where I'm headed. And it's a good place. And I'm in good company because I'm up where the air is standing. I'm surrounded by people I respect up on that rooftop. And I hope you'll join me up there and stay up there with me. Until next time, I'll see you on the rooftop. Mm -hmm.